0: The Business of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Land Trust. Did you know sportsmen spend over $5 billion annually in hunter and angler access fees? Land Trust is a platform that connects sportsmen with farmers and ranchers like you who have untapped profits just by providing access to their land. Go to landtrust.com slash BOA, as in business of agriculture, to see how much you might add to your bottom line.
1: Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining us here on another episode of the Business of Agriculture podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, with a fantastic program for you today. We're going across the pond. That's right. We've got a gentleman who's joining me from England. He is the founder of a company called Hummingbird. Hummingbird is an artificial intelligence software platform. Uh, really just working for and with agricultural and food production. And so his customers are some of the biggest names in agriculture, multinational corporations that you see that you use their products every day if you're in the business of agriculture. And um, I'm struck by what they're doing because they're doing what I think really identifies the future and where our industry is going. We're talking about utilization of artificial intelligence and technology to map out um, technology that's mapping out uh, resource allocation, if you will, and a few other things. We're going to talk about carbon, we're going to talk about resource allocation, talk about environmentalism, we're going to talk about regulatory environment and how his company is serving some of that. And we're going to get his thoughts on where the industry is going and how you, dear listener, can prosper in tomorrow's agriculture. Um, this episode, like so many for the last year and a half, is not just an audio where you get your audio soundcloud stitcher itunes but it's also a video so if you want to see what this british fellow looks like just go on the damien mason channel click on the youtube type in damien mason channel and you'll see me there and please hit subscribe it'll help my it'll help my views and uh, also you can see who we're talking to his name is will wells he's a founder of hunger will thank you for being on the business of agriculture
2: thank you damien it's a real pleasure to be on with you today
1: Okay. I explained a little bit about your company and you can do a heck of a lot job, a better job because you are the founder. And then we're going to talk about really the stuff you're doing, the, the work that you're doing and where you see this industry going because we're taking a look ahead. So uh, did I do you justice when I said it was an artificial intelligence software platform for the business of agriculture for producers and food companies?
2: You did it so well, Damien. You should almost work for us, but it's true. We are an AI platform for agri-food businesses. And I guess what that really means is that we use space asset data, so satellite data in particular, to help monitor sustainability across food supply chains. And with the advent of carbon markets and other regulatory reform that looks to reward farmers for being sustainable, using big data and AI is absolutely critical to measure it so that rewards can be given independently and that they can be verified
1: properly. All right. So you started this company. You're not an ag guy. You're a technology guy. You're an investor guy. Tell me how the whole tell me the genesis. My my
2: background is is in hedge funds and I, I used to invest in tech companies, but I grew up on a farm. My mother's a plant pathologist and everyone in my family is obsessed with plants of some sort. So it really was in the blood and and in my in my track record. Um, And Hummingbird really unites all of that. We started off really as a kind of drones for farming business, and then migrated quite quickly into a satellite for food supply chains business. And, And really about two years ago, we were right at the crest of the wave in terms of what we now think of as regenerative ag. And we've been focusing on that, focusing on sustainability measurements ever since.
1: Okay. So how old is Hummingbird? Five years, six years? We're,
2: we're five and a half years old. We've got 60 scientists, top class PhD data scientists working for us. Our biggest markets are Canada and the US. Um, and our focus is ag businesses. So whilst farmers are often the end beneficiary or the end users Really, we target the really large businesses, ag retail or the Cargills and Rabobanks and Yarras, that sit between technology and farmers.
1: Okay. So, yeah, your customers are Rabobank or John Deere or Cargill or whatever. And then what do you do for them? Why do they do business with Hummingbird? And then, what what's the, the thing that then ends up happening out here in these farms around where I live? So, I think one of the most interesting developments
2: in the last couple of years is not only the proliferation of technology across the agricultural supply chain, but really consumers demanding to know where their food comes from, to know that it was produced sustainably. So Hummingbird's role, let's say for a Nestle or a PepsiCo, is to monitor that food production upstream at the source. So if you're a Nestle, for example, you're deeply concerned about deforestation close to the Amazon. Hummingbird will quite literally monitor whether the land use has changed. If you're someone like Rabobank or Cargill, and you're looking to reward farmers in the Midwest that switch to no-till, Hummingbird is able to use its satellites to verify on a field-by-field basis when that happened and what tillage intensity was switched. So it's about being a technology solution through B2B where farmers can, can benefit as a result.
1: Yeah, so really, what you're, you're, selling, you're selling spy service. Uh, you're out here spying. Uh, Cargill says, we're going to do a thing, or now the new thing is more and more, like you say. And I think this, I, I like my privacy, but I also been telling my audiences, Will, for a number of years, more and more, we're going to see this where to s- it's a license to sell. If you want to sell your product. uh, You're going to have to adhere to certain, you know, ESG as it now is known environmental and social and governance standards. And then, so if your products going to end up on a shelf at Walmart, Walmart is going to have to be able to tell their customers, Hey, we care about the earth we're doing right by the land, blah, blah, blah. And so all of our stuff is raised this way. And you say, well, who the hell verifies that? And that's where your company comes in. And you're doing more than just a spy service because ideally Operator is getting paid a premium for adhering to the standards, right?
2: Correct, and and we're good spies, so we're Gandalf, not Sauron, and really. <laughs> no,
1: wait, wait, wait! Say that again.
2: We're the White Wizard, not the Dark Wizard, and okay. uh, that's from Lord of the Rings. But you know, we're good. We're good spies, and I guess most of the satellites we use are owned by NASA or the European Space Agency, and anyone can access them. And what we're trying to do is. Is use satellite data or remote data to try and unlock a financial reward for a farmer. Now, what's super cool is that we're seeing beer companies monitor the levels of chemicals used in barley farmers that supply them with the hope of having a carbon neutral beer. And those beer companies are looking to pay farmers that are more sustainable more money. Um, Microsoft is sitting on the other end of a carbon trade. So if you're a farmer in the Midwest and you switch to no-till, Bill Gates might pay you to do that. And massive clothing companies are looking to offset their own carbon emissions through the cotton farms that supply them. So whether it's crop water management or using less synthetic fertilizer or maybe a different way of treating the soil, there are so many ways now to get rewarded for those switches. Um, but it is still at an early stage. It's very exciting. though.
1: Yeah, okay, so you just talked about a number of things that are happening. That's why I wanted to have you on here, Will, to talk about where this business is going. So I say yes, that um, because the companies have to answer shareholders and they have to be still promotionally oriented and they've got to play their thing, whether it's, you know, whether you call it just pretend or not, the reality is Walmart needs customers. Uh, All these big companies need to put out their whole uh, we care about the world thing. And if that means we're going to tell our farmers they, like you said, have to cut back pesticide use or reduce tillage or whatever because of uh, environmental concerns, there's going to be either carrot or stick, right? Uh, We're going to pay you to do that, or we're going to not buy off you if you don't do that carrot stick. But somebody's verifying it. That's where you come in.
2: That's that's absolutely right. That that that's where we come in, and I think a, a couple of things are happening. So, policy and government sentiment is really in the favor of everything that we've described. So that's the one, the first thing. Secondly, you've got organisations like Kellogg's committing to helping four hundred thousand farmers become sustainable, or organisations like Nestle saying we're going to be carbon neutral by twenty thirty. Now, these big corporations have made big claims, but very few people have thought, how's it really going to happen? So we're seeing an incredible amount of pioneering breakthrough technology that looks to enable this. And carbon trading is part of it. So is credit, accreditation. Hummingbird's role is very small and simple, which is the verification partner. Um, And, you know, because financial rewards are on the line and because it's, very exposed to fraud, it's really important that the AI is done independently, but that it also works because otherwise you've got a whole incentive scheme that's skewed and, and, and won't survive in the long-term.
1: Okay, so is it, it's not really a market yet. You know, all these things we talk about, Will, it's not really a marketplace yet. It's not really, um, you know, I've had people on here talk about carbon. And I get it that some people are being paid for carbon, but it's not as though right now, if I have a bushel of corn, I can drive down the road to an ethanol plant or an ele- a grain elevator and I can sell that bushel of corn all day long. I can't do that with carbon. Um, and then also, I don't have anybody coming here wanting to give me money to prove that I'm verifying my practices. So it's still kind of the Wild West. Um, what's happening in that fluid? Is it becoming more systematized? Is it becoming more true market?
2: So I think whilst look, whilst Tummingbird is North America focused, we do operate in Europe and Australia and in Brazil. And what's interesting is that it's not the Wild West everywhere. And in fact, a number of different business models are emerging, all of which support a switch to sustainable ag. So for example, in Europe, as, as many listeners will know, Farmers are paid a subsidy, a flat subsidy per acre per year. And multiple countries, France, Germany, the UK, are looking to replace that with almost like a sustainability credit. So you will get paid, but only if you're producing beef or you're growing grass or you're producing corn in a sustainable way. So there's a government-backed subsidy scheme. That's number one.
1: Number two is... Uh, and, and then There's always the question of defining that. What the hell does that mean? Uh, I mean you know, I mean, it's, it's, I guess the standards can be set, but then, you know, I mean, this amount of cover crops, that you never use tillage, you use tillage once every three years. I mean, it's, it's kind of like it's not really there yet, right? I
2: think so. But what's fascinating is that if you look at the USDA Comet tool or NORI or the Australian Climate Solutions Fund or the German government, everyone is kind of focused on the same things. So biodiversity, expanding crop rotations, not cutting down forests, using less synthetic fertilizer, using water responsibly, like it's not, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out, but if you focus on those themes, you're gonna unlock rewards. So hummingbirds algorithms, our AI is focused on measuring exactly what I just mentioned from space, in a really cheap way that will cost, let's say, less than a dollar an acre for a reward that might be $15 plus
1: per acre. Okay. Uh, the reward is a government subsidy in this case. A government subsidy or a carbon credit or, you know,
2: General Mills or Kellogg's paying you more for your produce than someone that's not sustainable. There are many ways, there are sort of multiple ways to skim this cap, but- The financial transaction is coming from a number of places in in our view. Um, And I think probably the the last place that it's not coming from yet is, is banks. And I think that green finance or access to finance and insurance based on how sustainable you are will be a massive sort of unlocking of the whole industry.
1: It's fantastic his name is will wells he's the founder of hummingbird we're going to talk uh, here in a second about uh, how then he goes about getting paid himself and then how that uh, all the whole system works for one of his companies I'm gonna have him give us an absolute uh, an example get ready to bring me an absolute and just a regular example and then also we're going to talk about carbon um, about midway point of the show here I want to remind you that um, that, uh, you know, you can always find my stuff, as I said, online at uh, my davidmason.com site, but you can also go to the YouTube and please hit subscribe when you go there. Also subscribe to this podcast dear your listener or viewer. And I want to tell you, it's not something new I'm working on. Um, I've been uh, I mean, not really telling anybody yet, but uh, I can tell you. Extreme Ag is a collection of a half dozen progressive, forward-thinking, successful farm operators of scale. And they have a site called Extreme Ag. There's no E on the farm, so it's just the letter X. Extreme, Extreme Ag, and you go to ExtremeAg.farm. They are now producing a podcast, or rather, I am doing that for them. So if you are a farmer and you listen to my stuff, you might do well to tune in over to Extreme Ag when we are rolling this out. It's in its infancy. We're going to be giving you great stuff you can use to apply to your farming operation. So go to ExtremeAg.farm and check out what we're doing there. And stay tuned because it's going to keep getting better and better. All right. Will Wells. I took a little break and he got so bored. He picked up his phone and started texting. You didn't see that if you're just listening, but I saw it because I'm watching here and I've got 27 years of being on a stage in front of live audiences. And this little British guy thinks he's going to pull off a a little stunt like that and me not see it. Who does he think he is? Will, um, let's talk about what things you are monitoring and then how you go about getting paid because, okay, I'm a, I'm a big company. I say, Hey, I want to make sure that, um, that those uh, soybeans that are being raised, whether it's in Indiana, where Damien's from, or in Brazil, uh, are adhering to these standards. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious. Tell me, take it from there.
2: So, so Damien, I mentioned the uh, monitoring for $1, farmers getting paid $15. Essentially, when there's a financial transaction that's tied to sustainability, there's always a, a fee or a, a small amount that goes for a to a verification partner. Uh-huh. I guess that's, that's kind of what we're doing. So imagine you're a large corporation, maybe a water company that wanted to look at cover cropping across a 100,000 acre river catchment. Hummingbird would be measuring exactly which field uses cover crops so that a financial reward can go to those farmers that are farming responsibly near a water source. And we would get a small fee as part of that that would be a classic hummingbird financial setup.
1: Got it. All right. So you talk about these companies are paying you. Um, I don't know anybody that's getting a premium from Cargill for raising things a certain way. Am I missing something?
2: Look, I think Cargill are involved in a number of, a number of proof of concepts. And I think for them, it's, it's probably two years deep, but I know, for example, that there's at least a few hundred thousand acres worth of farmers in the Midwest that are that are enrolled in a in a Kargil scheme that does exactly what we described. Okay,
1: the key so it track- is happening. It's happening. It's not happening in mass. It's happening at a uh, at a. At a beginning. It, is. it is, and then if you look at Canada, for example,
2: I guess you know the Canadian Fertilizer Institute has been, you know, rewarding. This, the responsible use of fertilizers through its NERP program for, for for quite some years right so several hundred thousand farmers, all of which use fertilizers are all aware of that scheme and it it's so popular that I think the penetration is you know into the 80s or 90s so so, so it's not it's not as though the wider market is is kind of immune to these kind of incentive schemes I think that that the business model has a lot of you know, when it comes out in the wash, it'll be very clear. But for now, it's a bit opaque.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> you are not only the first British person I've ever had on in 196 or 100, 200 episodes, you're the first one ever described something as being opaque. Um, <laughs> all right. So carbon. We've had guests on talk about this. I, I'm ready to sell carbon, but uh, it's still a very, uh, it's it's a, it's a nascent um, marketplace, Tell me where this is going from your perspective.
2: I think that, you know, I'm a capitalist and I believe in, you know. That's
1: unusual in your country, isn't it?
2: Well, myself and Prince Harry, who hasn't been on your show yet, are... uh, you know, both attracted to the U.S. for its capitalist history,
1: but I, pr- I appreciate uh, that about Harry. I um, think he, he gets paid just to let People Magazine put pictures of him on his uh, of his babies on there. So uh, he's 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 a, he's a baby he's a baby image seller capitalist. I think.
2: I think the guy is doing something right. You asked me a while back, "How do I get paid?" Well, I think he gets paid for for showing up in Silicon Valley and and just being being his royal highness, but. um
1: yeah, all credit for, to former for Royal, Royal Highness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well,
2: I think we, we could all do with a bit of Californian sun and you know, hopefully if he starts producing almonds, then maybe he'll be he'll be on your show next.
1: That's right. But okay, um so
2: tell me. So 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 back to carbon. I think look, two years ago, the world was kind of shocked by indigo and the sudden ascent of you know what was then. The second ag unicorn, I think Climate Corps was the first, and I think that sort of peaked and has now troughed. And what we're seeing instead is the really large corporations like Rabobank or Yara or Cargill establish their own carbon-based strategies. And it's a horses for courses thing. And if you talk to Nestle about sustainability, they'll they'll say that something else is important. And Not everyone values carbon, but I think that there's enough focus on carbon emissions, carbon sequestration, and agriculture being this amazing opportunity. You know, farmers have been the bully boy of consumers and the press for so many years, but I think this is a a wonderfully seminal moment that we see food production in climate positive terms, as well as we need to feed ourselves and it being a basic right and food security.
1: Yeah, I see that also. When do we get to where I can just like log on and say, oh, you know what? Three years from now, I'm gonna get paid more for my carbon from this place or this place. When does it get to where it's just like buying an airplane ticket?
2: My prediction is that by 2022, it will become so mainstream that the wider mass market, particularly in you know, the US and Canada, will all be doing this. I don't think it's I don't think the the planet or the public will allow it to, you know, become a 10-year journey. I think that there's so much momentum and with Biden's administration and recent policy changes, like this is this is not going away and I think it's, you know, it's almost an important thing for for farmers to jump on board now because you know, it, it it does take a few years of experimentation. You know, we talk to farmers all the time that want to switch to no till, but they're worried about how to manage, you know, weeds and weed control in those intermittent years. It's it's not like turning on a light, light switch. So I think that the best farmers are already doing it. And I think
1: the mass market is ready to move. I see. All right. What else do I need to see when I look down the, because I'm pretty big on looking at the future and I bring a lot of my stuff to my audiences. Um, again, from the consumer marketplace standpoint, what thing are you seeing that we're not, or that I might or that my listeners may not?
2: So I think we can talk about vision and what we're not seeing, but what we want to see. And in my view, an American consumer will be able to go into Walmart, buy a bag of lettuce, scan the QR code, on that packet of lettuce and see how much herbicide and what happened to the soil in which that plant was produced. Possibly even visualize the plant when it was being produced. And that traceability is not quite there, but that would be a huge moment for agriculture. So that's, that's one thing.
1: The consumer says they wanna know where the food comes from. Do you think that they have, possess enough knowledge to actually see that and understand it?
2: I, I think that look, I'm, I've been in this industry a while and I'm learning things every day. And so the short answer is probably not. But I think that you know, this, is, this comes to the second challenge. What metrics do we follow? Like, Is there a harmonization? You know, because the USDA says one thing and Indigo says another and the British government say another thing. I think that the world is getting closer to having a harmonized set of standards that consumers will trust and education will follow. Um, I think at the moment, it's confusing and different food retail companies do different things. So it's, it, it, it is a bit of a minefield, I'm afraid.
1: Yeah, I mean, just because you're saying there's just a whole lot of different stuff out there, and it's it's uh, also there's the conflicting misinformation. You know, a company that wants to sell something goes and tells an ignorant consumer base this, and then it's like, no, that's not even accurate, whatever. Do <clears throat> you get think- excited? You see what's happening because I look out there and I tell my people that uh, my, my, I live half the year in the suburbs of Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm around people that are not farmers. And then they tell me some horrible thing they saw and that we're all going to die. And I say, that's not even true. I said, we're using less natural resources to produce every calorie food than we ever have in the history of mankind. Uh, we're doing better by our resources, developing countries, not so much, but you've got to be excited. You know, big customer, your customer base is Australia, Europe, and North America we're doing pretty damn good, aren't we?
2: I think we're doing all right. And I don't know, when we founded Hummingbird, no one was talking about soil health. And thanks to a gentleman called Gabe Brown, lots of your listeners would have read his From Dirt to Soil book. You know, I have read his
1: book. And I have have had him on this this very show. He has been a guest on the business of agriculture, and he's a pioneer of regenerative agriculture which I believe in, although I think it does have a few limitations. And so I see a future where we see much of what Dave Brown's pioneering, along with some of the best usage of technology and current stuff uh, and some stuff that's yet to be pioneered. That's where I see the future going.
2: I think so. And I mean, I get excited because, you know, nine-year-olds ask me about soil health and, you know, people go to meetings and they talk about mycorrhizal activity or fungal neural networks in the soil and, you know, the the public knowledge of farming, where your food comes from, has like captured the imagination as anyone that follows Netflix will, will notice. So I am encouraged, I'm an optimist, and I do think that that will bring about great change. Um, and what I, you know, going back to the Gabe Brown story, what I like about that is that it's not some inner city, vertical farm, metropolitan idea of how food should be produced. The guy is producing massive, massively impressive yields on proper North Dakotan soil, and he's doing it in a way that, that is so innovative. And that, there's hope in that, if, if, if nothing at all.
1: Mm-hmm. And you think that a company like yours then just uh, helps make those practices because one of the things that I my even some of my big pure farmers don't like it when I talk. I rail against tillage. I say tillage uh, destroys soil structure. We've over tilled. We've caused erosion and compaction issues from too much tillage. Um, and so uh, I believe that the regenerative thing that appeals most to me is again about usage of cover crops and reduction of tillage because that's what keeps soil healthy. And you guys can monitor that there at Hummingbird.
2: I think so, and. The key now as well is how data is connected. So, for example, if you drive a John Deere tractor, your data will be stored in your account as part of JDOPS. And businesses like Hummingbird have no interest in that data other than to verify that something happened so that the farmer gets paid. And I think the more connectivity we see, whether it's between CNH, John Deere, Um, class vehicles, or whether it's, you know, through platforms like True Terror or Climate, I think that the the more connectivity and the more data integration we have, hopefully those rewards will be unlocked because the data is there. And what we really want to happen is for these enormous carbon schemes to start up and farmers that are already being sustainable to retrospectively be paid for changes they made back in, 2016 or 2017. That's the dream.
1: Yeah, and there are people that are being paid for stuff that happened three and five years ago, right? You're correct, and I think I can, I think it's Nori or one of the other
2: U.S. carbon trading schemes, I think they allow for a 10-year retrospective payment. So, you know, it's one of the first questions we get asked is like, doesn't this just favor people that aren't farming sustainably? Well, hopefully those that are pioneering will we'll get the biggest rewards.
1: Mm-hmm. How big is the marketplace going to be? By the way, use dollars, use American dollars, not British pounds and not euros. If the uh, indigo You know what? You damn British people, I mean, where's where's the sense of humor? I was I was making a fun little thing there, you don't even you don't even smile. You must be tired over there.
2: We uh no, we we like the humor. We just don't always smile to joke back, but uh I look, I think I think if um If the indigo deck is to to be believed, it's a trillion-dollar market that's coming. I'm a little bit more cautious. But I think there's something more important at stake, which is if you look at the market capitalizations of Kellogg's, General Mills, Nestle, you add them all together, and you think how central to those brands' survival is being sustainable, being able to Report to their shareholders and consumers that they're carbon neutral. That's the real value. All of these enormous businesses need to be sustainable. All of these many, many, many farmers all around the world are being pushed, pushed and pulled into this movement. And I think the um, you know the market potential is is in the hundreds of billions, if not trillions, as a result. But it's. um,
1: you're seeing it just uh, the way I am that these companies and they can't just go out and keep imposing it on you. I mean, that does happen, right? Uh, uh, Kroger came out, it's a big grocery store chain here, um, like five years ago, seven years ago and said all eggs by the year 2022, 2023, 2021, whatever it was, all eggs are going to be cageless. And I'm like, well, that's neat, but are you paying folks to switch over all those hen houses you know, and then Taco Bell followed suit. Of course, Taco Bell cracks like three eggs a day. So it was a meaningless gesture, but they just wanted to the PR. So I'm like, if you keep imposing this on your producers, you know, this is a business. You got to also make sure you're compensating for these new standards you're putting in that actually cost money to implement. So um, we don't have dollar amounts, but you're seeing it happen. You're saying it's going to happen. That It's going to be that the money is going to have to be spent that uh, these massive companies. General Mills can't sell Cheerios and tell everybody they're sustainable unless they truly are putting their money where their mouth is.
2: I think so. And I mean, look, I, a, classic, a classic use case is McDonald's. And in my view, McDonald's has been one of the most pioneering ESG brands in the, in, on the planet. And whether it's you know, buying respons- responsible beef or whether it's you know, encouraging its potato suppliers to use less water to produce the fries that we all love, they are a great example of giving their suppliers a year to get in, into the groove. You know, these are the new standards. You've got a year to adapt. And if you don't adapt, we won't use you as a supplier. Mm. And if you talk to people in, in their supply chain, they'll say that you know, there's huge amounts of thought and effort that goes into collaborating with farmers and ranchers who, who show them the way that it's possible to produce beef in a way that, you know, protects the native landscape or, you know, improves biodiversity or
1: indeed sequesters carbon and soils. I got it. So, uh, yeah, I've been telling my agricultural audiences here uh, of the last year that ESG environmental, social and governance standards are going to be a big, big, increasingly important part of our production side of it because they these companies, these brands, want to build able to tell their story that um, to their consumer base. that uh, and, and the thing is, a lot of folks in our business uh, will get this wrong. They think about telling their story. God knows I've heard this from every farm person. You know, tell their story. I'm like, they don't really give a damn about your story. They give a damn about your story if it makes them feel good about themselves because consumers want to feel good about themselves. The consumer goes to McDonald's and says, I don't feel guilty about eating these French fries. You know why? I know they were sustainably produced. And then McDonald's just continues to produce. Promote that story, and it makes their customer feel good about eating French fries. And what does it did do for you? Well, you're an Idaho potato producer. You had to uh, go to drip line irrigation or something to uh, to, to reduce your water consumption, so that they could tell a story. Exactly.
2: Look, I think um, I think everyone is 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 focused on on the science here, and everyone's focused on solving the same problem. and you know, as a as a startup founder, I come into contact with so many exciting businesses of, of the future that are tackling this problem. Um, there's a great business in the U.S. called Benson Hill, um, recently sold through a SPAC for over a billion dollars. And they're really focusing on plant breeding and using gene editing and DNA sequencing to unlock those combinations that can sequester more carbon, you know, what plants can we breed that put more carbon back into the soil? I mean, there's so much microbial or sort of biological stuff going on as well. So I think that this truly is a a problem that's being attacked from so many different angles. Hummingbird and remote sensing is one of them, but plant breeding and DNA sequencing is another. And um, what's exciting is that, you know, it's all coming together and, the data is beginning to talk to each other and it's actually beginning to work.
1: His name is Will Wells. You got anything else to share? will do so. But before you do that, if anybody wants to look up your company, where do they find you?
2: Hummingbirdtech.com. We're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. Add me on LinkedIn. It's Will Wells. And um, look, we, we love chatting to people. We love partnerships. You know, we love talking to farmers just to hear their problems. So, it's been a real pleasure, Damien, to be on the show. And um, yeah, are for we'll- the
1: long haul—five and a half years—and you've got some huge clients, so you're going to keep. You're going to be. You're going to be out here. You're going to be the monitor of uh, using AI. And this is. This is. You're going to be here. You're going to be a. You're going to be a big player. Let's hope
2: so. And uh, it's just a privilege to be part of the race.
1: Yeah, you know, and maybe come over and buy. You buy a farm down the road from me, we get to go and drink some <laughs> British pints once in a while. We'll have a beer for sure. All right. His name is Will Wells. My name is Damien Mason. You've been listening to uh, the founder of Hummingbird Technology. Go to hummingbirdtech.com and check out their company. They're doing some interesting things. And this is where the business of agriculture is going from a production standpoint. You heard it there from him, and you've been hearing it from me for a while. More ESG, more monitoring, more being able to talk about sustainability and actually being able to verify it. And that's where his company comes in. Thanks for your thoughts and your look ahead, my friend. Cheers, Damien. All right. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture.
0: Thank you for tuning into the Business of Agriculture podcast sponsored by Land Trust. Land Trust partners with farmers and ranchers to capture pure profit from sportsmen seeking new experiences and places to hunt and fish. Land Trust built the platform and does the marketing. You maintain 100% control of access and activities and you set the rules. There's no cost or obligation when you list and the next 10 Business of Agriculture listeners who go to landtrust.com BOA are eligible for a gift worth over $2,000.